On today's episode of Let's Talk Dog Business, we've got the amazing Joe Rosie Haffenden. And oh my goodness, this is one you are not going to want to miss. We've got controversy, we've got business. We are shedding the light on this industry. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, so you were saying then, obviously interesting time for you then with socks as obviously you're kind of stepping away from that, which is, I suppose... I imagine it's a bit scary, but also super exciting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a very I'm a very positive person in a very positive mindset, so I'm very excited about the future. I'm very excited about uh, the transition from socks into into doing what I'm going to be doing. Um, but it's it's also sad and and kind of I think you know when we start when we started socks we wanted to change the game. I think we definitely yeah. did change the game. Yeah, I'd I think agree we with made. That huge leaps you know when we first started there was no absolute dogs when we first started there was no yeah. you know the the online stuff was teeny tiny there certainly was no online behavior stuff mm. at all um and yeah we did we, we 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 did what we set out to do which was to make a lot of money which you know and anyone can look at company's house and see that we have and to um and to change the game a little bit for dog trainers and allow for a lot more accessible education which i think we we definitely definitely did as well and i'm very proud yeah. um of what of, of what we accomplished but at the same time these things happen life gives you gives you lots of lots of surprises doesn't it and it absolutely um, does and uh, and and sadly you know you know, to be completely candid about it, when you go into business with your partner, mm. um, you're always taking that massive risk. You're always taking yeah. that huge risk of if it doesn't work out between you, then what happens? Yeah. Um, and at the time, you you don't go into a you don't go into a relationship thinking it's going to break down, do you? So you no. go into it going, you know, we are strong as an ox. We've got a child. We've got a house. We've moved a country together. There's no way this is going to go wrong. Mm. Let's just go hell for leather. Um, and so we hadn't really put in the, the things in place that we should have put in. Yeah. Um, and I'll never make that mistake again. And that's definitely advice that I'd give to anyone that it doesn't matter if you're going to business with your best friend or, you know, your boyfriend or your husband or your mother. You know, you mm. need to have those contracts in place. You need to have an exit plan and a full plan set out at the beginning when things are really, really good. Because yeah. otherwise, when you do split up or, you know, whatever happens then you have to go through that whole rigmarole, which is very, very stressful of deciding who stays in the company, who leaves the company, how does that work? Um, and so I, I, w- I wish we'd kind of, I wish we'd done all of that before, uh, which we hadn't, but um, but that said, I think all the parties are really happy with with how we've left it, so. Yeah, lovely. No, I think there's actually some really good ad- advice in that anyway, because obviously the purpose of this podcast and, and the way that we're trying to improve the industry is all about, giving that information to people to go you don't always see the behind the scenes stuff do you so Mm. regardless as to what business you're in whether it's training behavior education grooming whatever it is whatever somebody is putting on social media is typically always like the nice stuff you don't get to see the kind of all the the work that goes into the the background yeah all the shit that goes on behind building the business and i think it is really important yeah but you know I've thought a lot about this over the years. Obviously, I've I've got a, quite a big social media uh, pro- profile and have um, I'm always being stung on social media for controversy and all that kind of jazz. And <laughs> and so I've thought a lot about about this. And I, I, I've got in I've got in a circle with it. So when I 
So for a long time, I agreed with what, you, what you're saying there. And I thought, you know what? Nobody puts up the shit. Nobody puts up the fact that sometimes mm. you don't want to go to work in the morning. Nobody puts up the fact that, um, you know, there's contracts and boring stuff to go on. And, and and they should, and everybody should see the real life. But then now I look at it and I think, nah, you know what? Like it'd be, social media should be, and I try very, very hard. I'm sure this will come up later down when we talk about it a bit more, but I try very, very, very hard to stay in a positive mindset with yeah. with social media <clears throat> yeah. and and have, have, have lots of boundaries in place and lots of routines and lots of rules that I've set for myself about social media to prevent it from becoming something negative mm -hmm. in my life. Um, and actually, I think the fact that we don't post the negative stuff on there is a good thing. Yeah. Because what, like, you know, you, you don't need to sit there and, and scroll through reels of, um, of negativity. No. Of, of, of like the sad, like really social media should be a place where you share the positive stories and not the negative stories. Actually, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you on that. Um, because, yeah, we're a big believer in that. It's that whole who you surround yourself with, what you surround yourself with, you'll ultimately become. And, yeah, like I mean, we tie because we're scrolling in these Facebook groups because, again, it's our mission to really try and help people. But it is hard, isn't it, when oh, you're always yeah. just seeing oh, this is difficult, this is difficult, this is difficult. And it's all this bitching and moaning. It's kind of like victim mentality a lot of the time with any yeah. dog professionals, isn't it? They're like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that or I haven't got enough money to do this, I haven't got enough time. And it's like, well, you can make it, you can change that if you really wanted to. Do you know, do, do you know what I find really interesting? And this is, this, is, uh, this is an admission which isn't going to go down well, but you know me, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that is that having since... Uh, working a lot more with the balanced community as well as with the positive community, that is a positive community thing. It's not a balanced community thing. Do you yeah. think? The guys in the balanced community are out there in the mud training their dogs. I know that mm. sounds, you know, that sounds like I'm being derogatory towards the positive guys, but I've found it very interesting because I've been running these seminars. I've been running like the 10 hacks seminars and I've done probably 50% balanced community, 50% positive community. Yeah. And, um, and I would say that the cohort of the positive community that I've had at my seminars, because it is a workshop and it is a practical workshop, tend to be the much more practical guys and tend to be more sportsy, agility, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but but I would I would a thousand percent say, like without a shred of a doubt, if I was if I was to go and if I wanted to put up a team of practical dog trainers, those balanced guys, they don't make any excuses. They don't yeah. care if it's raining. They don't care if it's outside. They don't care if there's no toilet. They don't care if their dog is, um, you know, they don't care if their dog is uh, is going to find it difficult and they're going to have to work through different things. There are no excuses. There are no excuses that are out there they're training. And I would say that it's become a real culture with a certain part of the positive community now where there are, there, it appears, like you said, there's a very victim mentality. There's always yeah. an excuse not to do something. Why always. do you think that is then? I think it's a lack of skill, you know, I, and I and I, I think that that's something that 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 I, that I have to talk about, um, and and I find it frustrating. Now I'm not saying I think there's a lack of skill across the board in dog training, uh, really, but I think certainly, I think I don't know when it started, but there's there there at some point, and I can kind of remember when it was. Well, I've been training for nearly twenty years now, and um, professionally, and I can kind of, I can kind of remember this kind of turnaround where stress stress became this real thing that we needed to avoid when the dog showed us stress signals yeah. we needed to avoid this and at that point there was this kind of merging 
merging between mild behavior cases and dog training. And that there became this, this kind of real, uh, this real line drawn in the sand between trainers that would say the dog is stressed, but I'm going to train them. And the ones that would say the dog is stressed and therefore he won't learn properly and I'm not going to train him. Now, of course, it's a gradient like all these things. And actually the skill in the job is to be able to say, I can see this dog is stressed, but I can still train him. Or I can see this dog is, um, is, is too stressed for me to train. And that, that's the skill. But there was this, the, the, the threshold for that has been pushed and pushed and pushed um, over the years. And, and, and suddenly if a dog is stressed, we have to give them the choice as to whether or not they train or not. Otherwise you're not a positive trainer. And there mm-hmm. became this real pushback, particularly on videos that were posted online, whereby, you know, someone would post a video of themselves training a dog online, and then they'd have an absolute dialogue of people saying it licked its 1.37 seconds, it licked its lips and gave away a <laughs> lie. And then at 4.7 seconds, it pushed its ears back. And then at 7.9 seconds, it flagged its tail and moved backwards. And, and the, the stress became completely misrepresented as this thing that needed to be avoided rather than, you know, really when it comes to dog training, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's about recovery. So it's about mm-hmm. whether or not the dog will recover and how quickly the dog will recover. And, you know, you have certain dogs that recover very quickly, very well. You have certain dogs that don't recover very quickly and very well. Um, and those two, those, in those two examples, the dog that recovers well, you could push through lots of stress. The dog that doesn't recover well, you wouldn't push through stress, even though they would show you the same stress levels but with that dog you'd say no we're going to push for it and that dog would say no you wouldn't you don't get all those content you don't get all that context in videos but people became very quick to judge that um and i think that really spiraled it was the time when Gushy stewart released that the bat work stuff because yeah. there was this sudden lily chin uh, who's um uh, an illustrator yes. she became very fashionable yeah. all of that happened at the time you suddenly got these charts of dog stress responses all of this kind of all happened at the same time and everyone suddenly jumped on this thing of like stress is bad we need to avoid stress mm-hmm. the dog needs distance we need to move away we shouldn't be training dogs when they're stressed and i think the positive community then took this spiral they threw a lot of babies out with bath waters mm-hmm. and they suddenly started to go if the dog is in any if the dog is in is in any way highly emotional, we shouldn't be training it. Yeah. Um, and I think as a result of that, then came the real, the real extremists who believed that, who would then criticize everybody else if they posted videos of that. And that's where it all kind of became a wash. Yeah. And then I think, I think at the same time, uh, the university industry, the, the, Dogs, dog behaviorist as a thing suddenly really grew, particularly in the UK. Yeah. And as a result of that change in industry, we had a change of education system. And, you know, when I was starting out, you had Southampton, Lincoln had just started producing courses, but you had Southampton mainly in Hull um, that did the master's programs. And that was it. And then Edinburgh suddenly kicked up and then Lincoln suddenly kicked up and then a whole bunch of other universities suddenly kicked up these programs. And so then the academic side of animal behavior just boomed. And then suddenly everyone was like, you have to have a degree. You have to have your university in order to call yourself a behaviorist. Everybody has to do that. So that I think then that contributed because then people were spending 
the the three or four years that they would have spent in industry were being spent in lecture halls. Yeah. And then they were coming out with more education, but a lot less practical experience. And that drove the wedge further, I think, between those people who were saying, this is why this is happening. This dog is stressed. I can see this. I can see this. I can see this. But couldn't really do anything to change that behavior. Didn't really know the mechanics. Didn't have the experience to do it. And those that said, I don't know all of that stuff about, you know, neuroplasticity and the amygdala and all that, but I can change this dog's behavior by doing this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that competitively, those things started to compete against one another yeah. rather than learn with each other and learn from each other. And, and, and as a result of that wedge, you have the people over here who are probably feeling defensive and insecure that they don't have the knowledge and the experience that, that these guys have. And therefore they come down very hard on this is why I can't do it. This is why I can't do it. This is why I can't do it. And you have the people over here who are kind of like proving to those people, we might not have your university degree, but look, I can sure as hell train a dog. And they're doing the other thing and they're going, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Yeah, it's interesting, mm. isn't it? And I suppose there's a lot of parallels in that with how I personally think people run their businesses and they run their lives. So the things that were kind of running through my head when you were speaking then was, yeah, okay, those stress signals and... I know controversially, but I also know that you do actually, I think you agree with me on this as well. So I'm raising my two boys who are two and four, the same way I look at dog training because I understand the yeah. behavior behind it. And I'm really looking at it and I'm going, oh, okay, yes, you have just shown me a stress signal whilst building your Lego, but does that mean we should stop building your Lego? No, but it's, it's applying all of this stuff. And I see it certainly from a business point of view where it's almost as if somebody doesn't know what to do or if they feel a little bit stressed by it they stop yeah. and i wonder if and i don't even know if you would know this but as you've said you know you're you're choosing to spend a bit more time in and i hate this split of communities but you are choosing to spend more time in this balanced area i'm not really choosing i'm just doing a sport well, yeah. where i don't have a choice well yeah, yeah. okay so <laughs> Okay, so you're hanging out with, with those people. more. Do you, from your opinion then, do you see a difference in how they run their business versus the other side? Yeah, and I don't think that they, I don't think, I think they graft a lot harder for yeah. a lot less money, yeah. if I'm honest. I think they do a lot more work. They see a lot more dogs mm -hmm. uh, and they do it for a lot less. Yeah. And that's what, that, 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 that'd be the main difference. But I, I would say they do it a lot less, probably a lot less, uh, formally, like the formal business side of things in terms of like, if I was to make a guess, again, I'm going to be slated for this, but if I was to make a guess, I would probably, I would probably guess that a lot less of the balance guys are paying proper taxes, have got limited companies, are doing it like this. Yeah. And a lot more of the positive guys are doing it by the book, you know, doing the, the business mm -hmm. stuff by the book as the, as it, as it, as it, um, has to be done in this country. Um, but these guys are putting in a hell of a lot less hours a hell of a lot less hours uh, actually training dogs. Yeah. And yeah. this might sound controversial as well, but that's, that's what, what we're, we're all about. about. <laughs> um, that's what we're here for. Do you think the balance guys then are, are almost having to go against that judgment and that's kind of where that drive comes from? Yeah. And also, yeah. do you think that they put themselves in, you know, this whole, because a lot of what we're going to, sort of cover and talk about and kind of push is that dog trainers are very led or dog professionals very led by what others do and the mm. offerings of what others do and they mm. feel like they can't do any more than that or anything different from that do you feel like the balanced community are more like advocates for what the owners need what the dogs need 
and they will just no, do I'd... what's according to that or do they feel the pressure of offering what others offer as well? I think it's the same. I just think it's slightly different cultures. I think I think it's the same. I think I think dog training, if I'm honest, dog training I think is incredibly business wise, it's incredibly dated. It's yeah. incredibly oh, dated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the, the way that it's presented, the way that it's done, all of it is so dated. It's like it's like going back to an office in the nineties a lot of the time. I'm surprised yeah. we're not dealing with history forms by facts. Facts and cheese. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, and I think that, that the whole of the industry needs a shake up when it comes to this sort of thing. The whole of the industry does. Yeah. I do think that yes, it's. I think both are led by by these standard protocols. I think these guys are led much more by, like the, the positive type trainer are generally led a lot more by the protocols that have been stipulated by things like the ABTC. And like, mm -hmm. you know, and those things have all been fed down over time because you have highly qualified professionals who are generally, again, I'll get stated, but it's true, generally not very good at training dogs, mm -hmm. but who are highly qualified and very academic, who argue a great point on Facebook why you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z, and why you should only train a crate like this, and you should only do this by this. And people are like, oh, I respect him because he's Dr. So-and-so, and, and now I feel like an idiot, and I should only do it that way. And there's a lot of fear in the positive community, a lot of fear, right? I think in the balanced community, you have um, you have kind of a different a different pressure, and that you have the pressure of time because because there is the use of aversives in there. I think that that generally speaking, guys who are much further on this side tend to be a lot more pushed by time. So how, I need to be able to get this done quickly because I'm a, this is the type of trainers that we are is that we fix and we fix quickly. Yeah. And therefore, I think that a lot of their protocols are designed um, as in a, in a way that has to solve a problem as quickly as possible. Um, and therefore, there are there are sort of traditional ways of doing things that they all nearly all do as a result. And, and again, the offering is the same. So how can you offer if, if you've got Jim down the road is offering one to ones at 40 quid, I need to be offering my one to ones at 40 quid, because mm -hmm. how can I compare to him? And if a one to one is an hour, then a one to one is an hour. If a class is an hour, then a class is an hour. If I do a residential package, which is two grand for a month, then a residential package is two grand for the month. Like, and, and I can't people in terms of pricing, in terms of the time structure, mm -hmm. in terms of all that stuff. No, nobody in either camp, really thinks outside of the box no. not very many people do there are there are def i can think of exceptions to that rule but generally not very many people will think outside of the box they they are massively guided by what others are doing around them um and by this weird industry social pressure yeah to, to follow to, to, to follow suit to follow the herd yeah there is definitely that weird social pressure oh. isn't there in these facebook groups you see if somebody says something that isn't the norm Whoosh. <laughs> like they're just like a swarm of bees on them. Welcome yeah. to my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. And I, and I think you're right. I think it's... So the dog industry is certainly from from our perspective. So I'm kind of... I feel like a little bit of a secret spy in one way because I, I decided... How many years am I into it now? Two year and a half, two years ago to go, do you know what? I'm going to see more about this CPD world and see what's going on. So I've, I would definitely put my hand up and go, I enjoy learning. I love doing all the course junky stuff. I've done like lots of the socks stuff, loving behavior Bible. I, I like doing all of that stuff. And I thought, hmm, do you know what? I am going to start to test out some of these things. So I, I've been doing this for about 
10 years now um, and then officially made it my full-time gig six, seven years ago. And you're, I feel like we're all told the same kind of things, aren't we? I feel like the, the advice is quite blanket from, and I don't really know who we start to get business advice from, whether it's people that you kind of do your CPDs with or mm. you kind of just randomly get it from your social group. I don't feel like there's any kind of big player out there that you go, that's where I need to go to get this business advice. But yeah. I think it's fair to say we all kind of get told, partner up with vets so you get your veterinary relationships going, partner up with local groups so you get all those. But it's like, well, how do you do all of that? So then I've tried doing that partnering up with vets and then vets are like, oh, well, we don't really understand behaviour. So um, I know you need to be on the ABTC. I was like, okay, so how do I get on the ABTC? You ring the ABTC, they're like, you need to do an ABTC program. I'm like, what's the ABTC program then? <laughs> and then you just constantly pass Passed from me. pillar to post to do all of these things. So I thought, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to go and be a little spy. And I enrolled on a university degree to do animal behavior and welfare so that mm. I can go and get the clinical animal behaviorist title, not because mm. I need it, but because I, I, no. I wanted to do this whole journey and see what it is actually like. And fuck my uh -huh. life, it is killing me off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to do, so I'm, because it's not the accredited course, so I'm having to go in via APEL. I've got to fill in a full, it's a 35 page document for crying out loud. And I'm like, why why do I need this when I know I can actually do a lot of this stuff? But I am trying to do it. And as part of my dissertation, this is going to be quite controversial as well, but I'm hoping to publish a paper that actually looks at the public's point of view on accreditation. Because that's I right, think right, it yeah. is so... Don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> they don't. They uh, don't. Uh, spo spo spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know this, don't we? And this is kind of like the problem for me. I was like, we've got all these big CPD providers at the moment, which dog trainers especially are constantly investing in, going, oh, I need to do that course. I need to do that. 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 And it comes from an insecurity public... because they don't know how to do... Yes, exactly that. And that's kind of going to be my scientific purpose of investing this amount of money mm -hmm. into studying and taking time away from my boys time, and the business yeah. and everything else. But for us, we're like, well, we invest heavily in our own personal development, in our business development, and our business is just growing year on year, doing the thing that we love. And mm -hmm. that's not by constantly investing in dog knowledge CPD. It's all the same, pretty much. Let's face it. There's only so many yeah. ways you can skin a cat and go. This you is know, you know what? This is this is going to sound awful. Yeah, this is going to sound awful. But a little little secret that I've learned over my time. It's only dog training. Yeah. We're not learning to be brain scientists. Mm -hmm. We're like it's it's dog track. Nine nine of the cases out of ten yeah. are simple. Yeah. You really. overcomplicate it with your knowledge. Mm -hmm. the, the dog owners don't really want to know why. Like when I go to a dog owner, it's the same as when I drive my car to the garage. Oh, cars are a bit of a sore point for me. I wrote my van off last week. But, <laughs> um, but when I drive my car to the garage, I take it in and he says to me, oh, I think it's the cam belt. And I say to him, in my mind, that's a sushi belt that goes around where I take food off of, but that's inside the car and gives it fuel. Yeah? That's what the cam belt is to me. And I'm like, oh, no, the cam belt stopped dropping all its food around. The, ca the car's going to be starving. That's why it's broken. <laughs> oh, I love that analogy. Oh, wow. My husband's a mechanic. I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, I don't I don't care. I don't care how you fix it. I don't care what tools you... If he said to me, oi, come here. What? Come, come and have a look under the bonnet. I'll be like, no. 
Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Honestly, come and come and have a look. Right, you see that? That I don't care. Like, no sorry, mate. Give no shits. I don't care. I don't care. Mm. Can you make it so that it's warm and that when I put the key in, it makes a noise again, and that I can go from this point to this point without putting too much fuel in it? That's what I want to know. That can I do that? Because I, if I do, then I love it. I love that car. I'll yeah. cuddle it. I'll take it to bed at night if I can. I love it. It's beautiful. If I can't, we're going to have an issue here. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's that's it. Yeah. And I, I genuinely think like people say, yeah, but dog, people do want to know why the dog is because it's a sentient being. It's different from a car. Dog owners, dog owners want their dog to be fixed. They want the behavior yeah. to change yeah. when it's a bad behavior or they want the behavior to happen when it's just a behavior that's not happening. They want to live a nice life. They want to be able to... Every dog owner, I would say, in the world wants the same things, yeah? Yeah. I and and we don't like we, we, we don't like talking about it because they're things that we're, we're not allowed to do. But but secretly, especially the no, new generation of dog train, uh, dog owners coming up now, mm-hmm. all of them want the same thing. Mm-hmm. Ideally, in a perfect world, they want to be able to walk their dog through town on a really loose lead or even off lead if they can, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they want. I know we're not allowed to train it, but that's what they want. Yeah. They want that. They want to be able to down their dog outside of the shop so that they can go into the news agent and get Rizzlers. Yeah. That's what they want. <laughs> they want <laughs> they do, they do. They want they want their dog to be friendly enough to people to say that 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 it go approaches them and says hello, but doesn't jump up at them. They don't want it to bark. They don't want it to dig. And they don't want it to counter surf. Right. Those are three things that they definitely don't want it to do. They want it to be social enough with dogs that it will have a little play, but not social enough that it pulls towards those other dogs. Yeah. Uh, they want it to not piss inside and they want to be able to go to the cafe or to the pub and be able to say and to be able to not have to say anything and for the dog to understand that in that context, it lies down under the table and doesn't make a sound. Mm. Yeah. Those those things, I would say 99 percent of dog owners that's that's what they want out of a dog. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's that's what those things in ninety nine percent of dogs are not difficult to train. No. So I'm raising a puppy for a friend of mine at the moment, or I'm helping to raise a puppy for a friend of mine at the moment, an English Bull Terrier. Um, and I'm, I'm my purpose on on raising Dottie is to raise her into the perfect pet dog, right? So she's going to do all of those things, and and those are the things that I'm going to focus on. Those are the because essentially all the pet dogs are the same. Those are all the all of us positive trainers, balanced trainers, doesn't matter. Yeah. Those things. Everybody should be able to train those things really, really, really well. If yeah. all the dog trainers could train those things really, really, really well, mm-hmm. then the need for CPD would diminish and the desire for all this CPD, I think, would diminish significantly. Yeah. If I'm dead honest. No, uh, and, and I think yeah. you're right. And I think it's – so, I, I, well, we're a big believer in that. You kind of always play to your strengths. And, again, I think this is where certainly in – in the training and behavior industry and like whoever who knows what to call yourselves nowadays it's like are you behaviorist you're trainer you're both you're dog whatever it is but i for me personally i i do have this genuine belief that a lot of people regardless as to where they sit in whatever community just as a nice general we all love dogs we all want to help people out i think we all worry that there's not enough <laughs> business out there for everybody to have so we start to become this almost like this general dog's body and instead of actually looking at it from what do your clients want what do the public want and actually what are you good at in doing so again in my little like trial run i decided to go do you know what i would put my hand up and say i am not the best practical trainer out there i know i'm not there are much better people at it than me 
But since I've immersed myself into academic world to as my little spy thing, I'm going, do you know what? I'm pretty shit hot at all of the, the clever sounding stuff. So I'm going to change my business model to purposefully perceive, like from a public perception, that's what they're going to get from me. They think they're bringing in a psychologist to help them understand. And actually it's worked really well for me because I've going, do you know what? I have actually been able to create a business for people that want to understand more about their dogs and it's Why? less about the doing. I think as long as the client knows what they're getting, yeah, I don't exactly. see a problem with that. If, if the client says, I want to know why my dog is doing mm-hmm. this, they come to you. And you can go in and you can say, I can tell you why your dog is doing this. Yep. If they want to change their dog's behavior or they want dog training, then they go to a dog trainer. Yeah, exactly. And the people who are going to do best at that are the people who are best at dog training. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, I, and so that and so it should be that way. And this yeah. is my biggest problem with regulation and this is my biggest problem, particularly with institutions like the ABTC, is that there's no recognition of that. No, no, exactly that. And I think it, it's the thing that really frustrates the hell out of me as well, because whichever camp again you're in, it's it's almost driven top down, isn't it? It's like you should have all of this stuff. And it's like, well, Again, for what purpose if we're not looking at it from the public point of view? Like, what is it that the public want? What is it that your clients want? Because yes, okay, you can keep investing in all of these different things, get all these badges, get all of these accreditations. But for what purpose if you, if A, you don't know the type of business you want to be offering, it's like I say, I purposely chose to offer that model to see if it worked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, of course I know it's going to work because I've targeted the audience. And mm-hmm. it should be the same for anybody going into this industry. If you only want to work with, puppies of a certain breed go out and say that you are the specialist in that breed for that for that age but for some reason we we see it all the time don't we i think everybody feels like you have to go in and go do you know what i i can teach you separation anxiety i can teach you down i can Mm -hmm. do your training um oh that doesn't cover my bills enough so now i've got to do walking now i've got to add in some and it's suddenly you've got such a plethora of offers now, I actually think it's quite confusing for the public. You know what's interesting is that I, like, and I, and I, it's one of those things that I've, I've done it subconsciously over time. Like it wasn't it, there was no conscious decision to do it, but subconsciously over time, I've changed. I don't ever call myself an animal behaviorist now. Like mm-hmm. I've got a postgrad animal behavior, but I don't. I, I always, always call myself a dog trainer. I'm embarrassed by the title behaviorist. Interesting. I, I, I'm I, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Because to me, when when someone tells me that they're an animal behaviorist, I think to myself, all right. So okay, let's see what you can do. That's my my first thought is that it is like mm-hmm. let's 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 see if you can if you can actually modify behavior. If you're an animal behaviorist, you should be able to modify behavior. Let me see if you can modify behavior because ninety yeah. percent of the time, when you call yourself an animal behaviorist, it's just code for I can't train a dog. I can't modify behavior. <laughs> I can tell you why the dog's doing it, but that's that's where I that's where I end. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think the problem is is that there's a disproportionate. I think partly because I think it's partly the the, the fault of universities and it's partly the fault of institutions like ABTC. Um, but now there is a there is a a much larger cohort of like little scientists who are very good at science and very good at understanding, um, analyzing papers, who are very good at analyzing information, very good at looking at why dogs do things and mm-hmm. very good at coming out of reasons why we shouldn't train things, yeah. but that can't train a dog. And I think that there is a need for those people, but I think that the need for them is, is much, 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 much smaller than the amount of them. And I think there is a massive need for dog trainers. Yeah. And I think that sadly, the, the, because, because 
those people, the people who are doing your job, aren't marketing themselves the way you're marketing yourself. They're marketing themselves as people who do modify and change behavior. Yeah. Um, and that do do dog training. Uh, it 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 means that the it pulls down the standard of the whole industry mm. because the whole industry is then and you know the amount of dog owners I like I, I must I probably speak to twenty dog trainers a day, a dog owners a day on average, yeah, mm. like just responding to messages and things like that. And the the sheer volume of them that have had to see four or five trainers before yeah. they found a trainer yeah. that can train their dog is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have that. It's mind blowing. Well. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think I think there's a lot of crossover here between the the ability, like you say, of that person who they're going to, but then also the offering of that trainer. So I've I've known some amazing trainers in in all walks of life, but because they haven't looked at themselves as a business owner and offered an actual service and it's been very mm-hmm. ad hoc knowing what we know about human behavior well people like to they kind of like shop around a bit so then you end up with you're going to all of these different people whereas actually from a business point of view if you was to offer a a full service however that looks but package it up properly so that that person is buying the result not just an hour of your time i think that makes a huge difference yeah i think there's 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 so many models that are that are not utilized very well yeah no like if if, like there there are so many models i think that we should be so i think the marketing of what we do should be solution based i know that people don't like that because people say well you know it shouldn't be about a a fix it and what's fixing it for this dog and that dog and i I, like we do have to go into the house we do have to establish goals we do have to establish what are realistic goals for that dog and for Mm -hmm. that family and etc etc i'm not so of course we have to do that Mm -hmm. however i do think that the that the whole marketing and the whole selling out should be what what can I, you know, when you're selling to your client, you should what you need to offer is what can I do for you, what yeah. can I do mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. and you need to make sure that you can do what you're saying that you can do for them, yeah, and you need to like you know, people put out these very very generic businesses with these very generic um, offerings when actually you, you'd be so so much more sensible to have a look at what 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 do I want my day to look like every day uh, when I wake up in the morning I want to be passionate about what I'm doing yeah because that's how I'm going to be better at doing it mm-hmm. I want to enjoy what I'm doing because that's how I'm going to be better at doing it and I want to be good at what I'm doing because mm-hmm. that's you know that's the, the the point of it and therefore i think that those questions need to be answered people need to be thinking about that before they offer anything to their client they need to have a they need to have a real real hard think about what do i want to offer what am i good at what do i love what do i want my day to look like okay so now i know that now i can think in putting all of those things together what can I offer, what solutions can I offer for my clients? Now I market my business based on the solutions that I can offer for my client doing the things that I want to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think anybody does that. I think instead people just go dog training business. Therefore I need uh, either a barn or a field with a bunch of agility equipment (laughs) in it. I need to be able to offer puppy classes, adolescent classes, Adult classes, follow-on classes, I need to be offering one-to-one training, and then I need to be offering two to three-hour behavior consultations. That's what people offer. And, mm. and, and that that standard dated package is is also shit. Yeah. 
just shit. Like yeah. the classes are too long, they're too structured, the dogs aren't getting what they need. The classes, in my opinion, shouldn't even be held in halls or in venues. The classes should be held out and about in public spaces. Yeah. The 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 behavior consults don't have any follow-up because people buy a consult at a time instead of a full package. And if you buy a consult at a time, then normally mm-hmm. you go in and, and the, the the initial assessment should just be assessment. It should just be an hour of an assessment. And then a, a plan should be made um, and a cost should be given to that plan, like getting a quote for getting a house built. Not, um, it shouldn't be generic and, and cookie cutter. And then, you know, the the one-to-one time, like an hour one-to-one is 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 good if you're teaching the owner to train the dog, but that should be stipulated. But what does the owner want? Does the owner want to learn to train the dog? If the owner wants to learn to train the dog, in my first hour one-to-one with an owner wanting to learn to train a dog, I'm going to get Blake out. He's my schoolmaster. You're not even going to bring your dog. If I'm doing, a, uh, if I'm going to do one-to-ones with you and teach you how to train your dog, I'm going to start you off on a schoolmaster, teach you the mechanics, teach you to do it on a dog that already knows how to do it. Then we'll get your dog out and we'll start doing it. Yeah. Right. Nice. You know, but normally nine times out of 10, they don't want to learn how to train their dog. They want their dog to be trained, in which case take the bloody dog, use the last 10 years of experience of learning the mechanics and doing all the CPD, train the dog mm-hmm. for them and give it back either on a residential or a take and train or a you're at work and I'm going to train your dog for you. Like, like oh, there, are, there are so many ways to do this. There's so many really good ways to do this. Yeah. And they're just, just not being utilized because it's, because people, people, I think people are too scared. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do it does come right. from a place of fear, doesn't it? Like we, yeah. we talk a lot about go, coming back to the trainer versus behaviorist slant there. Like the report writing Ugh. kind of, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know how you feel about this. Well, I'm guessing I do know how you feel about this, but like. You can imagine. So, yeah. As someone with ADHD, you can imagine how I feel about report writing. <laughs> well, you know, this person comes in, they observe the dog, they write their observations on a reams and reams and reams of, you know, pages. And the practical exercises are oh, like just, that. Yeah. And the, there's, there's the like rest minuscule. is this. And I just like, they don't need to know all of that stuff. They know what the behaviours their dogs are doing. They've like told you what they are and you've observed them. So why do we need to just labour on all of that? Why yeah. don't we just go bang, bang, bang. This is what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. Like, so and this, really is that, frustrates this is a us. big part of like that behaviourist stuff that I am being told to do, which I don't do, by the way. Um, like you need to get these reports to vets. And he speaks to vets and like, we don't read them anyway. I was like, what's the point in writing all this stuff then? That doesn't give a a fuck. (laughs) I don't care. Am I putting this dog to sleep? No, good. Is it going to bite me? Uh, Probably. All right, muzzle it. That's that's, that's it. Done. Job done. I'm also a canine massage therapist and I have to do vet reports for that. And people spend hours on these vet reports and they don't read them. Like it's, it's like, the same. Like just, so just all they want is really simple bullet points that they can just look at that dog's notes and go, duh, 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 this is the... Fridge. Yeah. Fridge, right? So to me, I reckon instead of buying reams of paper and a printer, people should buy, you know, the white uh, the white magnet yeah. boarding, mm-hmm. right? They should yeah. just buy, they should buy a, a ton of sheets of that yeah. and a bunch of them pens and that's the reports. That's what you write mm. your reports on. Agreed. And that goes in the client's fridge. That's it. You don't have any... That's it. That goes in the client's fridge. Because you, yeah. you can count the amount of clients that are actually going to read that mm. and actually going to, you know, understand it, take it in, apply it. They're just not going I to... I actually did a fridge yesterday. Even if they did read it, even if they did understand it, even if they did... Like, 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 like what, what... Then what? 
Yeah. So yeah. they've read it. They've read the report, and they've read, what, what, and then what, what difference do they does do? that make? What practical things do they need to do? That's all they need is do this, do the next thing, do the next thing. Yeah. It's, but yeah. we know that we know we know this about education as well. We know that read, reading a report is like there are hardly there's hardly anybody who can learn in that way. You can sit down and read a report and learn it. Like, mm. like that's just not like we know that people learn much better visually. People might learn significantly better when they're outside of their own environment with people. I know for a start that if I took my client for a coffee for 30 minutes and I told them the stuff that was going in that report, they would get they would learn that better than if I wrote it out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So why aren't I doing that? Yeah, that's way more enjoyable. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Sitting down in front of the computer, just go, right, mm. I'm going to meet you for coffee <laughs> at this address. And we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what like the assessment and all that kind of stuff. Bring your pad if you want to make any notes. Done. Job yeah. done. Yep. And that's okay. it. And that's I think it. this is where a lot of it, we, you see it all over social media, don't you? I think one of the big things that certainly in this profession, everybody is star or either you see it at some point, they're going like, I've just fallen out of love with it. I don't enjoy it anymore. And I was like, well, yeah, because... Again, you're not make treating it boring it, for yourself. Yeah, it's like you're not treating <laughs> it like it a business. Really you're trying to do everything for everyone. You you're not thinking about what the client wants. You're thinking about what your competitors doing. And instead of actually, why don't you just start collaborating? It's certainly how like Vic and I met, and we were like, do you know what? How can we work yeah. together? And now we've got this amazing opportunity in front of us and we're rolling with it because we spoke to each other in the same territory (laughs) (laughs) yeah but labor tide at least you're the same type of trainer like my one of my best friends Belle, who i love working with love working with it she's a she's a balance trainer so i like it's really hard because i'd like to you know it makes it much harder just if you don't train the same way you have to it's 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 a it's a minefield out there but yeah. I do also think, I do also think, and I know that we're not going to talk about methods and stuff because I don't, you know, it's not, I don't think it's conducive to anything particularly productive. But I do also think that behavior, behavior as an industry, the lack of, um, I think that we're taught very, very ineffective models for behavior change, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Not just not just ineffective, but boring. But boring and ineffective. So we generally talk counter condition and desensitize everything. It like in different ways. Like there's different structures. There's different marketing models for it. But it's it's all much of a much. It's all basically counter condition and, and desensitization in in its various different forms. Yeah, and and not particularly effectively. Way under threshold. Da 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 Right. And the problem with that. And, and and I actually think this is what is responsible for a lot of the mental health issues in behaviour as an industry and a lot of people dropping out and, and falling out of love with it is because I think that we're taught, I think that there's kind of this, this idea that's pushed on us, which is if you are good enough at those, you will change behaviour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. If you're if you're good enough at uh, marking the dog and giving it distance when it gives appeasement gestures to the other dog um, and getting closer and closer and closer and slowly habituating that dog and creating positive associations between that dog and that dog, then that dog aggression will go away. And we're taught, but I, I feel like if I'm if I'm completely honest, which I have no reason not to be these days at all, um, <laughs> is that if if you've got a pink pen and we're taught, if you colour hard enough with that pink pen, it's going to go blue. It's going to go blue. You're going to keep colouring it and it's going to go blue. And, it's going to... and all these behaviourists are out there doing it and doing it and doing it. And they go, I've been training this dog for six months and I still, I can only just about get it. And sometimes I get it in the room and it still barks at the other dogs and blah, 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 blah. But they're, they're thinking, but everybody's told me if I keep colouring with this, if I keep colouring with it, it's going to go blue and it still hasn't gone blue. So I must just be really shit at colouring. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And 
behind the scenes, the vast majority of the people who are teaching that, they've got a blue pen and they're just going, get the blue pen. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so right though, and isn't they're it? Like this, and they're like this, they're like, ta-da, look. There's my, there, there it is, it's blue. And I, and I did that with pink. I did that with the pink pen. I just colored hard enough and it went blue. And there you go, look, now my dog doesn't bark. Or now my dog isn't, you know, now my dog is good around. And I'm like, hmm, hmm. Do you know, did you though? Because I don't think you did use those methods. I think you used a whole bunch of other methods. I think you used a whole bunch of mechanical, you know, different mechanics. I think that you used, mm-hmm. um, I think you pushed your dog through a lot of stress. You know, I've been with some of the most famous trainers arguably like via the figures some of the most famous trainers in the world as positive trainers whilst they've corrected their dog on a beach for chasing a seagull i've sat next to trainers who are incredibly who are known for being incredibly positive whilst they've shouted at their dog to shut up Mm -hmm. i've gone you know i've watched a trainer who gives workshops all the time about positive training who uses a garot on his own dog and I think that there is this, this, for me, it's very, very frustrating because I think when it comes to the use of aversives, there's a continuum. And I think there are, there are so many things that need to be put into consideration, including like the right robustness of the dog and the recovery rates of the dog and what mm. the dog finds aversive and what the dog doesn't find aversive. Yeah. Um, certainly verbal corrections is something that I'm incredibly comfortable using. I use verbal corrections with my own dogs. I'll say, oi, stop it. Stop being a complete twat. Mm-hmm. you're a prick and my dog will go oh I'm sorry and I'm like yeah thank you <laughs> and 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 that is slightly aversive to my dog as in my dog's ears will drop and he'll go oh sorry and I'll go yeah right well then don't be a prick um and I don't have any problem with doing that the same way I won't use the same language for my son but I would say oh wait Santino <laughs> don't do that anymore um and I don't see any problem with that and if he didn't find it aversive then he would continue that behavior so he must find it aversive because it stops him doing it my my change of behavior my sudden change of behavior will tell him not to do it if I'm working on a dog a dog aggression case and I teach a dog really really well-proofed constructive behavior that he can do around non-emotional triggers that he's happy with and I take that dog to threshold for the first time and he reacts at the other dog and I believe that that reaction isn't based on fear but is based on habit and the fact that it's worked in the past and so the dog's become a bit more offensive and a bit more bold in it I have no problem saying to that dog oi no and then immediately rewarding the dog for the right behavior again yeah. right and that's that's how I make that's how I create very quick behavior change Right. And and that's how I can change change the client's behavior very, very quickly by using that. And I know that I will be slated for for doing that because, you know, in, it, it, people will say that that's using aversives in, in behavior modification. Yeah. But there is but I don't think that it's particularly aversive to the dog. I don't think that it is in any way. Um, I don't think it, 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 there would be no backlash from that in, in the hundreds of cases that I've used that method. I've never seen any backlash from it in terms of, um, you know, in terms of punishment callous, in terms of um, the dogs then redirecting on the owners, in terms of a relationship breakdown. If anything, the dogs enjoy the structure and respect the owner more afterwards. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that so many people are being taught that they can colour in hard enough with the pink pen that it's going to turn blue. And there, there's people like me who are out there using the blue pen Mm. Uh, on dogs in a way that's constructive mm. feeling like I can't teach that to people because it's yeah. controversial yeah it, it's so um, difficult isn't it because it, it it shouldn't be controversial in in some way should it because yeah. ultimately oh. even if you look at it from from like you say that parenting style of it and I like to think you know if I had to put myself into a camp I'm definitely in that post but yeah okay I will use those at no and I've realised lately, I do the pointy finger at the kids. It's like, no. Oi. Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> you. Do you, do you, do you, like you do the, the counting? Do you do, do you do the counting as well? 
I'll give you to the count of three. I don't know what happens after three. No, not <laughs> that, for that <laughs> reason. For that reason, <laughs> I'm done. Like, no, I'm not going to do it because I know minor little, wow. they're, they're clever little shits. And I'll be like, <laughs> yeah, you get to three, see what happens. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so no, I, I'm avoided. I've, so far, I've managed to avoid it. But, but yeah, well, like, I use three all the time. I will count to three. But, <laughs> but it's part and parcel of life. We do use these things. We, we don't all we? have these things, don't we? we? Like again, like if if we're all talking over each other now, like and, and no one was getting anywhere, someone's going to have to You're step have up to and just be like, me. "Oi, shut up a yeah. minute! I'm trying to talk." It's yeah, you, yeah. you have to use it as part and parcel. But I, I just love that whole. Yeah, you can keep trying that pink pen. Keep trying it. Keep trying mm. it. Keep trying it. Which is what I see people do from that business point all the time. They're going, yeah. "Well, I'm just going to keep trying this. I'm just going to keep offering ad hoc sessions. If that's not working, I'm going to try another version yeah. of a pink pen, and I'll put some walking in. And then that's not working, and then I'll put another people version will in." People come eventually. Is and I'm like, kind of attitude, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm like, mm. "Well, do you know what? It's clearly not working." And I had a very similar conversation to a training client yesterday, um, and he's the 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 person, the owner. He's not changing his behavior and I was like you've got to change the formula you know that excel spreadsheet you're in all the time you keep putting that same formula in it's not going to give you a different answer you've got to start changing you yeah. a little bit <laughs> change it slightly and you'll get a different output and it's the same with with business it's like well that's not working so go and try something else and I think for me because my background is business that is what infuriates me the most about this industry it's where the hell do you go so yeah. I've built my business and then yeah. your business and our business and we've gone from not in our industry we've had to go elsewhere to get it yeah and that's what i think yeah. is missing because then ultimately you've now got a plethora of all of these dog professionals doing the same thing moaning about the same thing feeling frustrated about the same things falling out of love with the same things but they're going to each other to get the support and, and, and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not just that as well. I think that there are enough people out there, particularly higher professionals, who are constructing reality where they're saying that the pink, pink pen works. Mm -hmm. The pink pen works. And so there's, there's a belief, mm. there's a full-hearted yeah. belief. The pink pen always works. And so the people who are, who are out there grafting with the pink pen, not just methodologically, also, like you say, with business structure yeah. and with, you know, everything really in the industry they're using like this 90s it's like late this like early 90s model but for everything in terms of mm. everything um and then they're going it's the year 2024 but it's not working but but this lady says that it does work and this lady and she's really high yeah. up and she's made loads of money from it and she says it works and therefore it must work and so i'm going to keep trying and keep trying and i think that is responsible for a lot of the imposter syndrome i think it's a, responsible for a lot of the uh, mental health i think mm -hmm. it's uh, responsible for a lot of the burnout mm -hmm. because there's only so much if you believe that it's possible to make a decent salary doing constructed having constructed your business and having your communication protocols and all of that in a certain type of way yeah. and you you think that there are a lot of other people who are successfully doing that and you think that it's possible to make all this behavior change and train all these dogs in this very particular way and you think that everybody else is being very very successful doing this and then you're not it makes you feel like shit yeah yeah it's so true it's so true but the organizations are like they're there as this we look up to those organizations don't we don't know why why, why do you not know, who says that I that's what we need I to don't. do no we don't but you know you, you can kind see of take it's what out you, there i think we take bits out of it but 
ultimately they're the they're the ones that are driving this and they're the ones that like the client-led focus is comes from them like it's the lack of client-led focus sorry comes from them as well because it's not about them it's not about the clients so these organizations they they are like the the gods of everything aren't they but they're Mm. not providing what we actually as dog trainers need so so i have a lot of problems i have a lot of problems with this for for, for all of the all of the organizations i think i can't think of an exception to this which is they are being ran by people who the last time they trained a dog was the 1940s, I think, most of them, yeah. right? And therefore, it's not surprising that the models that they're putting across are dated, yeah. right? Yeah. And 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 the, the vast majority of them are, are like, I, I want to say, I, I want to say, like, I, I, this is an open invitation to anybody who works for any of those big institutions that run accreditation. Come to my house, right? I live in Cambridgeshire, got four dogs, come training. Let's have a look. Let's have a look at training. Let's have a look at whether or not you can train a dog, which which ultimately is the entry level, is the bottom, the very bottom, the first things first, before you're educating people, before you're telling people what education they need in order to do that in terms of, can you do it? Yeah. That, that's first things first, right? Can you train a dog? That's, that's the first one. Because if you can't, then who are you to tell Joe over there what he needs to be able to do that? Yeah, precisely. Like, like, yeah. F- like, full stop. Now, secondly, show me your protocols for a for a behaviour consultation. Let me go, go and grab your client. Let's have a little look at what, what you would do. What would mm-hmm. you do? And would the client be happy with that? Yeah. And does it give effective modification and change in a sufficient amount of time that is ethical? Yeah. Right. Because I would argue that the vast majority of the people in that couldn't do any of that. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I actually had a mm-hmm. conversation with. Um, when I did my APDT assessment, they wouldn't let me in because my business model scared them. They were like, people, pe- people want to pay you more than like five pound an hour. I was like, yeah, shock horror, they do. And they were like, to run, to watch it. And they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. And I was like, okay, then fine. So, and because I didn't meet the criteria that they wanted, which was essentially chucking a load of dogs in a room that didn't know each other and they wanted me to fuss them all and interact with them. They all got to interact with each other. I was like, well, sorry, I'm not going to do that. I don't know anybody here. I don't know this setup. Mm. I'm just not going to do it. And that's why they wouldn't let me in. And you didn't have a load of props either. And I didn't have a load of props. Ugh, how dare you? Right. The thing is, is that there's, there's, <laughs> it's very much, there's, there's a mentality from, from that, that upper, upper echelon up there. Mm-hmm. There's a real mentality of, of, this is why you can't. And you know, you get those builders that come into your house and they go, you go, right, so what I want to do, right, you're going to hate this, but what I want to do is I want, a, I want a window and I want it to be the full height of the house, right? I want it to go from there. I want it to go all the way down. I know there's a floor in the middle, but I want it to go all the way down in the corner like this. Blah, blah, blah. And they go, yeah, <laughs> well, I, t- I, t- I tell you why you can't do that. Right. And there's, it's that, there's that mentality instead of the mentality of when you occasionally get a builder who goes, oh, Mm, how can we do that? Yeah, love that. And, and it should it should always be how can we love that. It should be yeah. this is why we can't. Yeah, and, and and unfortunately, you know, like like I remember the first time that I postulated or I said uh, about doing. I said right, and we're changing. It's when I used to run my my business, my consultation, my dog uh, training business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember saying to the staff, right, we're changing the classes. Yeah, and I want we're going to do what we used to do is we used to do six weeks 
uh, five of the weeks were in a hall. One of the weeks was in a field as a recall um, thingy at the end workshop. And then we used to do three additional sessions that the client could choose to book on, which were the venue list sessions. So they'd do an urban one, a rural one, a public transport one. And they could choose to do it and they'd meet us in various places and then we'd go and take the, dog, the puppies out. Right. And I said, we're going to scrap the in, the in the hall classes. Like, I think we should just run all of them out and about. I think we should be training the sits and the downs and the loose leads and all the stuff that we're training. I don't see the point of us training it in the hall. And the dogs, when I see them out and about, they're not really generalizing it. Yeah. It's su such a specific training context. It's it's difficult for them to concentrate. It's difficult for them to do to do anything in really. Thank you. Can I see the menu as well, please? <laughs> yeah. So, so I said, like, we're going to do and and. An, People hated it to start with, not, not the clients. The clients fucking loved it. The, f the first problem I was met with, well, your insurance won't cover you. And yeah. I was like, no, the, the, the answer shouldn't be your insurance won't cover, they, cover you. The answer should be what loopholes can we use to ensure that the insurance is still covering you? Can we get the clients to sign a declaration to say that they don't mind? Mm -hmm. Because that was the answer. The answer was to make sure that on the puppy forms, they signed a thing to say, we know that we're going to be out and about in public and you can't basically control the buses. Um, and... Like, like, but that's like, we should always be looking for like, what, how can we do this? Yeah. How can we do this? Yeah. Always. Like there should never be in a situation where you said, well, I can't. No, no, no. How can you? Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I feel like this could go on like a massive tangent because of life in general. Like you almost, yeah. you're so guided, aren't you, into what everything should be done. Like we're almost, again, like even mm. we've had people contact us and say like, oh, we want to become dog trainers how how can we start mm -hmm. doing that and they're already saying to us it's like oh so we know that we're going to run one-to-ones or puppy classes we found a hall we've done mm -hmm. and it's like you said it's like this whole cookie cutter thing mm. but it, it's so ingrained and hardwired into everybody not even just in and it's the dog world but and it's dated and boring and the clients don't want it yeah yeah, it is so true. The, you know, the, the other thing that I'm seeing a lot, this is a very good coffee, by the way. Uh, the <laughs> other thing that I'm seeing a lot of lately is I'm seeing, so the new generation coming up, uh, the guys, when we look at, you know, dog dog ownership went from something like 9 million to like 13 million over COVID, didn't it? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. When we look at who the people were who bought those dogs, they were often people like younger than me, if I'm honest, <laughs> but um, but like fairly similar to me. Like they're just normal people, yeah? Normal people in normal lives. People who like to have... I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a complete admission here, right? I have cream carpets in my house. Impressive. Yeah? And I have white bed, li <laughs> I have white bed linen, right? And as you'll see on my social media, I often wear white Hugo Boss tracksuits and cream. I like my designer clothes. I like, I like my other boots. She's got fur around the collar. Love it. Even yeah. in Spain. I, I, don't, I don't, even in Spain, right? And I don't care. I like those things. Those are the things. That's, that's who I am, right? And, and a lot of the people, I think that the cohort, general cohort that bought dogs are quite similar to me in that sense. Mm -hmm. And the, the generation below who are coming up and buying dogs. And I'm seeing, what I'm seeing all the fucking time at the moment is people whinging and saying, you need to let the dog be a dog. Yeah. So you're seeing all this stuff about, you need to, oh, I had a, oh, I had a client today. God, you poor thing. Um, oh, I had a client today who, um, who's got a dachshund and the, the thing's digging up the garden. <sighs> Have they got a dachshund? Of course it's going to dig up the garden. And I, you've got to let the dog be a dog. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, you got you can't let the dog dig up the garden. That's not socially appropriate. Like, the only way that dogs have managed to 
thrive in this environment is by learning to behave appropriately given the expectations of the humans, right? Mm -hmm. That's how dogs are still with us. That's why they're still our pets. That's why we haven't chucked them out and they're not like foxes, mm -hmm. right? Because we, we and, and, and it's, it is literally, literally the reason that dog training exists is for that purpose. Yeah, <laughs> that is that, 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 that's literally what dog training is, is teaching the dogs to live in the human under the human rules. Yeah, that's what dog training is. So why people are now moaning about that is is is, is beyond me. And I, there's nothing unrealistic about living the like, there's nothing unrealistic about having white linen and white tracksuits and cream carpets and having dogs. But there's nothing unrealistic. That's not an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. You just have to fucking train the buggers. Mm -hmm. You just have to make sure you train them. That's all it is. You train them and you say to them, right, you're not allowed upstairs. My dogs aren't allowed upstairs. Ella is. She's 16. She can do what she wants. But <laughs> none of the others are. Like, the others aren't allowed upstairs, right? And they're, um, they're only allowed in the lounge when they're clean and calm because I've got a big, white, fluffy rug in there. And if they're silly, then they're just annihilated. And uh, other, uh, we are in the kitchen otherwise, and they know that they're not allowed to jump up at visitors. And they know that they're not allowed to jump up at me because I wear things like white tracksuits. And I they like, like all these things it's just a basic dog training right it's just a basic mm -hmm. domestic obedience and manners and i don't know how it's happened but there's suddenly this massive culture of dog trainers who 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 feel like it's if you have a dog then you should live as a swamp person <laughs> and, <laughs> and and if you don't then you've got you've got ridiculously high expectations of that dog and you know it's it's completely unfair to expect the dog to live this lifestyle but yeah and and, and i just think i just I, I don't know where i i feel like a lot of that is coming from these institutions who are saying who are so who are like really really pushing this idea of allowing the dogs to be the dogs and not allowing the dogs to have any big emotions and you know keeping arousal down and keeping keeping stress down and not putting the dogs in just basically any situation and like like we're, we're creating these weird weird ass glass dogs that, that are dog trainers dogs if i if i ran a workshop tomorrow and allowed all dog owners and all dog trainers to go in there i can almost bet your bottom dollar that the vast majority of dog owners will have better behaved dogs than the dog trainers which is fucking saying something mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's where that's where you know you've got a problem yeah. When your dog trainers are going, I can't bring my dog in the hall because he's a bit stressed. I'm going to wait for him to choose to come in the hall and he's barking at the other dogs. And all the dog owners are going, oh, fucking come in here, Fido. And the Fido's going, okay. Yeah. So it comes down to the extremes, doesn't it? Like there's no middle ground it, with yeah. anything to do with this industry, is there? There's like you're here or you're here and there's nothing meeting in the middle. I think there is. I think there's some beautiful people in the middle ground. It's just that those are the people who are going, I don't know what the fuck to call myself. I I'm not going to put myself on social media because I'm going to be annihilated. I'm, yeah, so yeah you know, I, I think it's that, that, it's that, that, that vanilla middle ground, isn't it? Of like, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to put myself out. It's, mm. and, and I think this is the shame because ultimately anything that's controversial should just be something that is an open conversation because ultimately how, how do you learn? How are you supposed to like have these conversations and, and, and do all of these things. And that's why, you know, we, we decided to, to do this podcast, which we knew was going to be controversial because we're going to start highlighting the things that we're already, already bloody saying. Yeah. <laughs> we're all doing yeah. it. We're that's all the saying whole point it. of why we it. created this business, because we think that things have got to change. Yeah. And we and, really and, and want to And something has got to change. So I suppose in, like, I'm really interested, and I, and I think our listeners will be too, on kind of like your 
your journey then from when you first started to kind of where you are now? Because you've done the academic side of it. You've got the degree. You've obviously had like a massive online business with socks. You've had your training business. So, and you've done some TV stuff as well. So kind of talk us through where you've started and to where you are now and what what has kind of changed for you and what have you seen and how have you grown and tell us the Joe Rosie story. <laughs> so I am a big believer in uh, in the um, like laws of attraction and things like that, you know, manifest it. and it will come. And, and, and as, a, as a result <laughs> of that, I think Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs once um, once uh, wrote a beautiful quote that I've always remembered, which is you can, it's really easy to join the dots looking backwards. Right. And, and, and that's true, especially when you follow your passions and you follow what you're good at and things like that. Um, and when I tell this story, it looks as though I pre-designed it. It looks as though I knew exactly what I wanted to do from when I was 17 and, and worked very carefully through that course to ensure that I had everything I needed. And couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be further from the truth. So I went um, to university and my mum had told me that the only way that I could ever make any money uh, becoming a doing anything with animals was to be a vet, which is... I had exactly like, the I'm... same advice. <laughs> How old are you? Sorry if you don't mind me well, asking. 42. Ish. Okay, yeah, I'm 39. And um, and I think that at, at that time, around that time, I think that, that there was like this real belief because there wasn't really an industry for what we do, was no. there back then? No. So I think that I think there was this belief that you become a racehorse vet, that's how you make a minute, or you can make decent money being a vet, or you're going to be, you know, or you're unemployed, basically. Um uh, so that was the advice I was given when I did my work experience for my GCSEs. I then went on to university and my mum gave me really, really good advice. The best advice I was ever given in my whole life, which is if you follow what you're passionate about, then things will be all right. Like basically, like just keep following what you're passionate about. If you want to go the academic route, then get academic uh, qualifications in what you're passionate about. If you want to go the experience route, then go and get experience in what you're passionate about. But just follow that and it will lead you to doing something that you love. So that's what I did. Um, and I really enjoyed psychology at, uh, at A-level. And I thought, well, I'm going to go and do human psychology. I, li- I like the idea of that. Um, I broke up with my then boyfriend. I was going to take a year out. And then I broke up with my boyfriend. And I thought, no, I'm going to go to university, you know, like that. And so <laughs> managed to get a place through clearing. Um, went to uni. Got an applied psychology degree um, in applied psychology and criminology, actually. Um, and but specialized in young mammals and did my dissertation uh, in uh, secure attachment in young mammals um i got a first my dissertation i if i'm honest i uh i experimented fairly heavily with drugs during university but managed to get through anyway i got a <laughs> two one impressive and um well you know you said did so i thought i would be uh, and then uh and then after university dabbled in various careers uh, that we don't talk about uh, because they were all pretty illegal at the time. And then um, uh, a year after that, didn't really know what to do. Uh, and so I thought uh, a, uh, um, a friend of my dad's recommended that I, he said, you should do something digital, really. Um, and so I started doing uh, some work for a digital agency, uh, just like write, basically writing. I've always been very good at writing. Mm. Um, and so I was doing some like content writing for them. And then this job came up at the Blue Cross, which was uh, writing like the behaviour advice and that sort of thing for the um, and doing some of the like more digital marketing type stuff for the animal charity. 
And I was like, right, I'm dead into that. That's wicked. Like I did my dissertation on young mammals. I've always wanted to work with animals. This could kind of like push together everything I do. Yeah. So I started working with them and it was only maybe two weeks in, um, two weeks into that, that I, that I had this brainwave because I loved bully breeds and we had loads of bully breeds in. And I was like, oh, I think they should do a campaign called Respectable and we should, should be about educating the bully breed owners because they're the owners that generally come in and blah, 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 blah. In order to do that, I had to go down to this, this strange place that I'd never heard of before called the Behaviour Unit. Um, and so I went down to, to Oxford. Uh, this is Burford. And I walked in there, a Burford, yeah. yeah. And I walked in there and there was a, a, a lady called Claire Salard and a guy called uh, Ryan Neal. I know both I of them. <laughs> I used to which work I owe my life. Oh, really? Ryan is one of my best friends. I speak to he's him lovely, like, yeah. we, basically weekly. Like he's, he's one of my absolute best friends in the whole wide world. And Claire is still a very good friend of mine. I don't speak to her as much as she, but but Ryan I speak to all the time. I I adore him. He's he's just one of the best people I know. Um, but so I walked in there, and my 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 whole brain lit up like a whole Christmas like a Christmas tree, and I was just like, fuck! Why didn't I know this existed? This is this is it. This is my this is Mecca. Cool, like this is this is where I need to be. Um, and so from then on, I started to kind of like. I can say it now because it doesn't really matter, but um, I started scheduling fake meetings all the time up in Burford and actually just going down to the behaviour unit and doing like work experience with them and like stooging for them and doing as much as I possibly could. Um, and then, you know, I was lucky enough to uh, to be able to afford to then do my postgrad while I was there. Um, so I carried on getting experience whilst I was doing it. Um, and, and, and whilst I was there and getting experience and doing my postgrad, I was... Um, I became fascinated in the expert witness side of things, like the legal side of things, mm. because um, partly because I got Arch, I got my pit bull, I got Archie, um, and partly because we were getting a lot of those type one dogs in, and I was sort of seeing what happened, and, and I just got more and more interested in that. And then I, I met a, a, a horrible man called Roger Mugford, and, um, <laughs> and, and he offered me a job at a company of animals. Um, and so then I went and worked uh, a company of animals. Uh, I sat next to Shirag for a year, which is lovely. I love Shirag. And um, and we did a, we did a bunch of really fun stuff. Like we went and did uh, what's it called? With the XXX. Um, Britain's Got Talent. And oh, did yeah. Britain, Britain's Got Talent <laughs> with a bunch of chickens. Me and Shirag pulled a couple of all nighters training some chickens and did that. And did a whole bunch of really fun training stuff, um, but also did uh, I also did loads and loads and loads of assisting for Roger as well as for a couple of the other expert witnesses until I'd done enough experience that I could then apply as an expert witness. So that was like my big plan. So then I went and applied for that. I then got I didn't get sacked. Me and Shrag left on the same day. Put it that way. And um, I received some very interesting emails. <laughs> One down published that email, uh, from my uh, then boss saying that I would never make it in the dog training world and that wow. I should uh, probably find a job that didn't require me to write or read. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so funny, I did all right myself. But uh, then, so then I left there on a bit of a like sudden, like shit, now I don't have a salary, don't know what to do, but I had enough experience. I'd got my expert with stuff under my belt. Uh, I had a couple of uh, good contacts and solicitors who then took me on as their expert. So I was able to do that work. And then I started to school for dogs um, because I thought, right, I'm just going to have to fucking do it. So literally I went out and did exactly what we're saying not to do now, which was uh, <laughs> found a hall, 
and started doing public classes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, obviously, I had experience like running classes and doing stuff like that already from the from the previous jobs, but still, I did that and started doing behaviour consults, and it just took off. To be honest, I was really lucky. I was living in Brighton. It just took off, and within within a year, I took on two two members of staff because mm. I, I had more work than I could shake a stick at. I didn't know what to do for the amount of work I had. Um, and then built that up, took on a partner, made the same mistake, didn't do contracts and stuff like that. But um, took on a partner and we built the business up until there was, we had eight members of staff. Um, so it was a nice big beefy, beefy business. Did did well out of that. Really enjoyed running that. Thoroughly enjoyed running that. Really enjoyed running that business. So it was my baby for a while. Um, uh, and then I got, <laughs> and then a friend of mine, um, who was a cat behaviorist, messaged me and said to me, look, I'm pregnant, so I can't do this TV show that I'm meant to be, I'm meant to be on. Uh, you're the only other person I know that can do cats. Um, is there any way that you, you fancy doing it? I think you'd be good on TV. And I was like, yeah, right. So went over, went down to Bristol and um, went and sat there and did a show called Cats versus Dogs where I had to train the owners of a cat and they had to go up against as a challenge the owners of a Dalmatian. They had to both had to train the dog and the cat three tricks and I had to like judge it and, and I had to present all this information about like the way cats were domesticated differently to dogs were domesticated and why that changes their learning and all that kind of stuff. Um, so did that. And then while I was there, the production manager came over to me and he said, is this the first TV you've ever done? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you're, you're really good at it. I'd really like to put you forward for this other show. Do you enjoy it? And I was like, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And he was like, well, can I put you forward for this other show called Rescue of Superdog? So then they put me forward for Rescue of Superdog. Like, like two days later, they came down and filmed a sizzle reel at, um, at the clinic uh, that I, I built a clinic uh, up for the old business. So then I got Rescue Dog Superdog and that, took me out on the road for about six months away from the business so in the end I gave the business to um my then business partner I was meant to sell it to her but she stole it from me because I didn't make those contracts that we talked about that are so important will not be making it mistake again yeah um, <laughs> and uh and so then that so then she took that um uh and I then me and me and uh me and Nando got together at that point when I was doing Rescue Dog Superdog. Um, and we, uh, Steve Mann came to me and asked me whether or not, he asked me to run a dog yoga um, thingy. One second. So, yeah, so previous to that, I missed a bit, which is that during the course of this, I started to, with Archie, I started to develop this protocol, this dog yoga protocol, um, which was just something I was messing around with. I've always been, uh, like my dad used to describe me as an original thinker, and I've always been someone who thinks outside the box a little bit, maybe because I'm neurodivergent, whatever that was called. We all know neurodivergent, to be honest, but anyway. Um, and so I was, I, I came up with this protocol that I was using for Arch um, and one of my vets asked me about it and he, she was like, this is amazing, the change that I've seen him in since you've been doing all this this stuff differently. Um, and she was like, and she was like, I've got a German Shepherd I think that I'd really like you to work with. So I worked with this German Shepherd on the same protocol. Now the German Shepherd had hip dysplasia, how surprise. Um, and so I worked on it 
in a very specific way to help with the hip dysplasia. And I then came out of this idea and I said to them, look, we could we could use this protocol to train specific movements for this dog because it didn't like to be handled at all. Um, and so we could get the dog to do its own physio. And so we started doing this. And so we used the yoga protocol to train these particular actions and postures and stuff to help the dog do its physical, to do its protocol. And then the, that particular vet said to me, look, can you write this up for me? Like write up the protocols and stuff that you're using. She's like, I'll pay you to do it so that we can have it. It was almost like a little manual so that we can use it for other dogs that come in in the same thing. So I think it'd be really useful. So I started writing that manual. And then I thought to myself, why am I doing this and not publishing it? Like, like, mm-hmm. like, why am I wasting all my time doing this and not publishing? So I just literally went through my bookcase, picked out my three favourite books, found what the, who the publisher was, wrote to the publisher and said, look, I'm writing this for the vets. Would you be interested in publishing it? All three of them came back and said yes. So then I had them like kind of fight off between them, uh, went with one of them. Um, he then said they'll publish it, got it done, wrote it, published it. Um, and then Steve Mann, who was the head of the IMDT at the time, he still is, mm-hmm. came to me and said to me, do you mind doing a yoga thing for the dog training weekend? Like a, just like a section on dog yoga. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I went down and did that with him. Um, what I really noticed by, he added me to the group, to like the Facebook group. And I really noticed that there was a lot of behavior questions on there that were being really badly answered. So people who had been, who had learned to dog train through the IMDT didn't know any behavior stuff. And so I went to um, Steve and I said to him, have you ever thought of doing like a behavior version of the dog training stuff, like the IMDT stuff, but a behavior version so that you're training your trainers to do the behavior stuff rather than, because at the moment they're asking these questions and the answers aren't great. And there's obviously a lack of, there's obviously a a gap there Mm -hmm. that needs to be filled. And we talked about it, had a couple of meetings and he was like, yeah, I really fancy this. He's like, do you fancy writing it? And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd happily do that. So then I started, so I wrote um, a separation anxiety uh, seminar and a resource guarding seminar and a couple of others as well. I can't remember what they were. And then we came up with this idea for the IMDTB, um, which he then put forward. So then I was doing seminars for the IMDTB. Nando was doing seminars for the IMDT. And then we both got rescued dog, super dog. We then um, got together during that. And then at some point we just said to like, we just said, like, why don't we just like, why don't we do this ourselves? But why don't we um, start running seminars, just me and you, and we'll do it together. It'd be more fun. Like you say, it's nice to work together with someone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So when Socks first started, it was it was that. It was, um, we just did seminars around the country. We did predation one, we did a resource guarding one. We did, we did a whole bunch of conferences abroad. We toured America, we went to Australia. Um, a bunch of different gigs in Europe and we just like did did lots of presenting and then we came out of this idea um <laughs> actually it's quite funny we came out of this idea we were like what's really annoying is how poorly um the science is being taught so basically during our journeys when we we're in the car he I, I'd gone the academic route and he hadn't so he he would say to me um something like that about skin or about Pavlov and I'd be like no that's not actually that's not actually true like having been taught it in human psychology you know there was never actually a bell it wasn't a bell it was this and did it like you know we talked to all three and he was like the, the amount of myths that are being taught in dog training when it comes to this science is crazy um so we're like why don't we do like a little online course this is how the whole of socks started was we were going to do this little online course that was just going to teach people about um learning theory right that's all it was that's all that's all socks was going to that's the only online bit we were going to do um and then uh, 
and then we and then we were so we had this idea that we were going to do that and that we kind of like put that on the back burner while we were filming a different show for teach my pet um and then at the end of teach my pet we didn't want we were going to uh, america so we didn't have time to do the work the workshops that we wanted to run as part of the tv show for dog trainers and so we wanted to find a trainer that could do that for us we went and did a judged i had to judge the, the bull terrier class and he had to judge the tricks class at this big welsh show in the tricks class the person who won it was dean we watched dean do this really good uh thing with his dog and we were like he's great he's a great dog trainer like where's he from spoke to him afterwards he's like well actually i'm not a professional dog trainer i'm just a dog owner i just really love doing it and we were like man you're like what you did there's sick and he was like, well, actually, funnily enough, I've just um, applied to come on one of your courses. Um, and so he had applied to come on one of our courses. We then let him on to a load of our courses, trained him up, got him to do those workshops. Whilst he was doing those workshops, he decided that he wanted to become a dog trainer. And we saw a lot of potential in him, the fact that he had been in business before. So he, he did his MBA or whatever it's called and was in business before that. And we thought he has a lot of skills that we don't have. And we said to him, do you want to come on board just with this online project that we're doing? Yeah. Just this little tiny little course. Um, we started filming that little tiny little course. But then every time we filmed it, we were like, oh, we should really be teaching people this. We should really be teaching and then in the end, it ended up being the whole of Puppy Lab. And we created the whole of Puppy Lab. We all gave up work um other work and just focused on that for a year with no earnings uh just on the pump that we thought it'd do well because there wasn't anything else like it in the market yeah. um and then we were lucky enough that it did do really well and we said that as long as we as long as we earn i don't know how much it was but we had like a um figure that we had put in we said like as long as it earns this amount then we'll do another course afterwards and it earned that amount it, it earned way more than that amount so we then um did 30 days of school of canine science and then and then from there we just created a business and then that and then that that was that business and that's how all that happened really amazing because it was very that. organic it was all it's all <laughs> it was all just that very organic opportunities rose i'm someone who says yes to everything because like i just think these things happen you only live once and if, but, if it if it sparks my interest, then I'll I'll mm. find a way of making it happen. But the theme of all of that for me is the collaborations that you formed yeah. throughout. That's 100%. that's how you got to where you are now. Yeah, collaborate the networking. Actually, yeah, yeah, relationships like talking to people and yeah, 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 a hundred percent. And and like as as you know from probably talking to me, I'm incredibly social. I love talking to people. I love for me. You uh, real knows real, and and you sit with someone for ten minutes, and you can tell whether or not they're bullshitting, mm. whether or not there's someone who's giving off this fake impression, whether or not there's a different motivation there, or whether or not they're just an open, real person who's going to just go, "There you go. This is this is me. This is who I am. This is what I want out of this." Mm. And and those are the people that I'm looking for. Those are the people that I want in my life. People who are positive, who when negative things happen, either just shake it off and push it away, yeah. or else, or else go. How can we turn this into a good thing? Yeah, yeah. You know, and people who can do and who do want to do, and you just surround yourself with people like that, and then you end up having all these different ideas and bouncing off each other, and yeah. it's just nice. That's it. It's so important, isn't it? And mm -hmm. I, I, again, kind of like drawing it back to the, the whole reason we're wanting to do this is so we can create that positive community to go. This, you know, we there is this gap, and we want to help fill it because we do love working with dogs. We love working with the people aspect. We love getting to talk to people like you. We love the social side of 
everything mm -hmm. and actually just having those open conversations and there mm -hmm. just genuinely doesn't seem to be a place that exists for that and it's I or, I like people have been, people have become scared of telling the truth yeah and i don't really understand it like and, and i try i try so hard and like i was talking earlier about those boundaries i put in generally speaking i try and see myself on social media on like the pages and stuff now mm. i see myself as a content creator yeah. and it's not about engagement for me if you look at the vast majority like when i posted the reel of me and bell christmas shopping together with um with carlos and and fiasco and i got all that jip about her dog wearing a prom collar i am um, I don't really engage in it anymore. I don't even read most of those comments, if I'm honest. Yeah. Like, I, I'll get messages from friends with screenshots going, have you read what fucking so-and-so's just written about you? Like, you see then? And I'm just like, no, I just don't read it. I, just, like, I, I genuinely speaking, I, I really do live my life looking for things that I like. Mm, yeah. That's what I do. I look for things that I like. And if there's something that I don't like or makes me feel a certain type of way, mm -hmm. I'll try and just not, I'll just try and get it out of my life. I just don't want it in my life anymore. Yeah. Such a good way um, to be, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you've got to see social media like that. You've got to see social media like that. And I think that if you if you're able to do that, then you like I think as humans we just have to say to ourselves, it should always be about truth. Mm. Like 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 the I, I get I get a lot of dog trainers who say to me, like, I feel really shit because I've just advised my client to do something that if I'm honest, I would never do with my dog. Um and I'd say, Well, what would you do with your dog? And you'd go, Well, I just tell them to like like I just tell them not to do it. Like, about two weeks ago, I got a, a if I'm going to be more specific about it, I got a, an email. Um, it's a good example of this of a trainer who said to me, um, uh, I've got a client whose dogs can't accept, and I've just put them on a, a differential reinforcement schedule um, of other behavior. So they're using a treatment train, they've bought a treatment train, they're putting it in the kitchen, and they're doing it on time contingents like you said so they're doing like 30 seconds and then a minute as long as the dog doesn't count the surf it gets a treat if it does count the surf then it doesn't matter um and she said but if i'm honest i can see this is going to take weeks with the doctor realize what's going on um and i feel shit she said because i would never do that my dogs. and i said well how did you fix your dogs from that sir? she said i just got them by the collar when they did it and said no on the floor again i said and why didn't you say that to your client she said because i feel like i'm not a positive trainer if i say that and like i'm like you, you people have got to stop getting hung up not just on the positive training thing but just on any of these labels any of these pressures to be a certain way and just be honest yeah. like above everything else be yourself and be honest yeah love it I, I think that's like yeah the the best bit of advice anyone can give actually. Mm. So uh so with that then who or other no let's go so aside from the honesty thing or maybe that is the honesty thing would that be then your <laughs> one biggest tip then to give to the dog profession at the moment in terms of falling in love back in their business doing something that they love that they're good at all of that what what would be the one thing that you should say everyone should be concentrating on the most oh those are two different questions for me so what should everyone should be concentrating mm -hmm. on being good at what your clients want yeah. if you are not good at what your clients want then one of one of two things has to change either what you're good at needs to change so you need to learn the skills to become good at it or what your clients want needs to change in which case you need to be marketing to different clients 
Like one of those two things have to change. Either the clients have to change or the skills have to change. Yeah. But you need to be skillful in what your clients want. Yeah. You need to find clients that want you to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what people should be concentrating on and working out who the market is, what they want to do, and becoming really shit hot at that. Yeah. But in terms of my like one tip for people, with with without a doubt, it would be to wake up every morning and spend your day concentrating on the things that you like, not the things that you don't like. Love it. Because I think if everybody does that, then people will stop criticizing each other too. And then you won't have to you won't have to like the confidence levels of everybody will go up and everything everything gets better when you start doing that wake up every day and just concentrate like look around for things and collect in your brain things that you like oh i like that oh i like that oh i like that collect it all up and it'll become like a better person you'll become a more positive person you'll become better at business you'll become better at everything just collect the things that you like in your brain instead of collecting the things that you don't like in your brain um and in terms of like in terms of specifically the dog behavior and training industry if everybody could be 20 percent more authentic and 20 percent more honest the whole the whole of the industry would change for the better yeah yeah love it love it absolutely yeah one last question for you then who do you know that would make an awesome guest on this podcast to spread our message even further uh, well, if you haven't already thought of him, then Craig Ogilvy for sure. But like, he's definitely someone who you should get on here. He's been doing a lot of mentoring stuff that's really, really good. Um, he's, he's he like he what he does is almost leans more towards life coaching, I think, than anything. Yeah. Um, so I think he'd be a really cool person to have on there. Um, and the other person, without a doubt, and she she'd jump on chance would be Kelly Dunbar. She does mentorship, and she's got a lot of really, really strong opinions about the industry. She's been in it for twelve years longer than I have, um, and she, she, I think she she's she's watched it from the side of like obviously Ian Dunbar and Sirius and all that side mm-hmm. of stuff. And then also from the sports side of stuff, and then also from like mentoring new trainers coming up. So I think she would have a lot of really, really interesting opinions as well. So. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Love it. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us today. I've absolutely, absolutely loved this. Yeah. It's been great getting to see the insight and your journey and everything. I, I think it's just I feel like been... I've been to therapy. That's what, I That's what it's about. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But no, I really do appreciate your, your time. And... I always I always come away from these, right? Or every podcast I've ever done, including this one, I always come away from these going, oh, God, I really shouldn't have said that shit. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you should have. You should never. have on this one. Ooh. Definitely. Yeah. No, this, this is all about... I never, I never regret it. Honesty, authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been lovely to talk to you guys. Thank you. you. Thanks again. And enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Bye.